February 2009. American woman in Puerto Rico, Sarah Cusack, 35, is kidnapped and murdered while on a jog. Sarah was engaged and pregnant with her first child, and her hopes and dreams came to an end at the hands of a predator. Despite her ultimate death, Sarah's quick thinking would help find her murderer. This is the story of Sarah Cusack. Sources for this episode include ABC News, the San Francisco Gate, the Mercury News, Savannah Now, NBC News and Legacy.com. Hi guys, welcome back to episode 87 of Unknown Passage, a podcast that tells the stories of those who have gone missing or have been murdered abroad. So I am back. I took like a week off, which I explained on Patreon, but I will on this if you're not a patron. And then I'll get into a few things. Um, I've had some really nice emails and things like that. So I'll get into that in a minute. But basically, I've had um, (laughs) nausea and vomiting and fatigue for probably about six months. And at the start of the year, I had a big lump in my neck, (laughs) um, which I did not get checked out. I honestly thought that my neck had got fat, although I had lost weight, um, quite a bit of weight. Um, On top of having really shaky hands and things like this all the time that people have commented on. Um, So I started having chest pain last week and I left it because I am an idiot and it takes me a lot to go to the hospital. So I was talking to someone up the street and I started having chest pain and it went right into my arm and I got home and couldn't even get up my stairs and started being sick. That wasn't enough to get me to the hospital. But the next day I was on the phone to my friend and I got off the phone and I again had the pain, but it was right down my arm and my heart was thudding like, but it didn't sound good. So finally, a very good friend of mine made me go to the hospital. Um, And long story short, I have been diagnosed with hyperthyroidism, which basically is caused by a disease called Graves' disease, which is quite dangerous if it's left unchecked, which it seemingly has been, um, which is what the goiter in my neck is, sadly. Um, And no one really pointed it out, I guess, because I haven't seen many people. So I guess that's why... I kind of didn't get it checked earlier because there was no one to tell me that because I live by myself. Um, So I was in hospital for a couple of days. It, you know, wasn't great, but it was kind of nice to be looked after a little bit. Um, I am on quite a lot of medication now to sort it out. It should sort out quite a lot of my symptoms and I should feel a bit better and be back to my old self, which I probably haven't been for about a year, I reckon. Um, I've also been sweating a lot, which actually, surprise, surprise, has been my thyroid this whole time. So my thyroid is really fat in my neck. It's really obvious to me um, and I guess to people who know me. And hopefully I'll be able to have that either removed a little bit or shrunken down with treatment. But I just want to say all this because um, you guys, I put it on Patreon what was going on um, because I wasn't there for an episode last week and you guys sent really nice messages. And that's why I haven't replied to quite a lot of emails I've had over the last week or two because I've just been kind of trying to relax. I haven't even been doing any work. I've just been trying to keep my stress levels down for a little bit because that's one of the things that I have to do and learn to do after 33 years. Um, And I also have to not have my heart go into overdrive because the thyroid has been causing my heart to go crazy. And I need to kind of find some tools finally to manage 
these things. So that's what I wanted to say. Um, and I, if I miss a week here or there or something coming up, it's because I have a lot of appointments coming up. I have tests on my neck to see exactly what it is because there are thyroid cancers, you know, and you don't know if that's it. I'm trying not to think about that. Um, I have blood tests coming up to make sure that the medications are working. There's, I'm taking about 10 a day and um, that was causing the heart. So if you've got any symptoms like that, don't be like me and not get them tested. I'm like an idiot and I always think, oh, that ambulance is better for an older person or that bed in a hospital is better for someone who needs it more. But I really needed it more and I was putting it off for a very long time with really insane symptoms like coming home and vomiting quite a lot and things like that. So that was all caused by that. And um, yeah, so I listened to a podcast, uh, Dan Bongino, who had um, lymphoma in his neck and he left it. But listeners and people who watch his recording of the podcast wrote in and told him, please get it tested. And he did. And it was lymphoma. That's not what's wrong with me. Um, although <laughs> it kind of does look like it. Um, so I have named my goiter Felix, which is the male equivalent, I guess, of Felicity. So um, keep up, you know, with that. If you're a patron, I'll put kind of updates. But if anything major happens, because you guys mean so much to me, I will um, let you know on the podcast. But yeah, just if there isn't one for a week or two, don't stress. I'm not dead or anything like that. I'm probably just, you know, I have to go to an endocrinologist now and I have to sort my hormones out. And this can be a lot of issues for women. If I want to have a baby at some point, um, it can cause a lot of problems. So I've really got to sort that out now because I am 33. So thank you all for your really nice messages in Patreon. And I got a couple of listeners um, email me who aren't patrons over the last week or two that I haven't replied to yet. And I will get to it. Brett and Matt, I will get back to every Everyone. Um, I had awesome emails that I really want to read out probably next week, next week's episode. So this is episode 87 of Unknown Passage. We're creeping closer to episode 100, which is fucking crazy. Um, it's been over a year now. So thank you for those of you that have stuck with me for that time. Now, I have a new patron, Lee. So thank you so much for coming on board, Lee. Lee is actually from kind of my neck of the woods, about an hour from Melbourne, which is really awesome. Now, this case that I'm going to talk about isn't, there's not a lot of ins and outs. It's all very straightforward. It's really tragic. So it's not going to be kind of like an Al-Kite-esque investigation. But patron Jamie Kay, when you become a patron, you get to choose a location for an upcoming episode. And Jamie Kay is one of my favorite um, emailers. She sends me amazing emails. She's in Florida. Um, I've said, you know, maybe I would move there and we can live with our two cats each <laughs> in harmony. Um, I've had many chats with her. We've sent many emails. Um, we have similar backgrounds and she has two cats that I want to give a shout out to called Bruce and Clark, which yes, they are named after that. So she requested Puerto Rico way back when, when she became a patron about two months ago. And I immediately knew I'd do Sarah Cusack's case, but I want to kind of tell you that there's not a huge amount to it that is really gripping, but this case is, you know, really important. And I'm sure a lot of you will remember it happening. I, I vaguely do because I remember the story of the girl who made, you know, a 911 call from the trunk of a car as she was being abducted. And I think Sarah's quick thinking and how she kind of in the process of her own abduction and murder solved her own abduction and murder, I think is very admirable. Um, and reading about Sarah, I liked her more and more. 
So local um, local publications like Savannah Now, which is where Sarah was living, did great coverage of this. Um, so I will get into it. And I'm really sorry if I don't really sound like myself. Um, my neck is causing like issues swallowing and things now. Um, so I'm trying to take it easy. But this takes place in Puerto Rico and it's a place we haven't been to before. It's a place I really I knew about, but I didn't know anything about it. Um, so I hope at least you learn something. And I've noticed that Sarah didn't get a lot of a lot of kind of publication when this happened, um, Sarah Cusack, and I think, you know, she really, she really deserves that. So Sarah Cusack was born on the 15th of May 1972 in San Jose, I believe, California. So just a day or two ago now, she would have turned around 48 if my mathematics is right. Most sources have her as 36 when she died, but I think it's 35 according to my math, which isn't that great. So Sarah was actually from San Jose, California, up towards San Francisco, um, but she moved to Savannah, Georgia, which is a beautiful city, um, very historic city, about five years before her death. According to Legacy.com, which has quite a lot of, um, I guess, odes, um, test. I was going to say testimonials to Sarah, kind of just notes to her family and things like that from people who have heard about her case. It says that her mother, um, who's I will quote quite a lot throughout this, was a woman called Joan Lang. She was married to a man called Philip Lang, which was Sarah's stepdad. Her dad is Tom Cusack, who is married to Emily, her stepmom, and she had a sister, Anne-Marie, and a brother, Jerry, who she was very close to. And if you want to read some of the tributes to Sarah on there from people from all across the world, they're on her legacy.com listing. Sarah was the youngest of three very close siblings. Now, Sarah, at the time of her death, she was five months pregnant and she was engaged to be married in just about a month to the love of her life, a man, a man who has a very kind of posh name called Cheshire Macintosh. I'm sure that over there in the States, you probably say Cheshire or something like that, but I'm just going to say Cheshire, like the Cheshire cat or the place in the UK. So I know at the time of her death, Sarah was living in Savannah. Um, her family was back up in Northern California. She'd been there for quite a few years with Cheshire and she was waiting her new baby and engaged to her fiancé. And obviously this was one of the happiest times of her life, which is really scary um, when you get into the details of this case. I just want to say this was on like a some sort of show called Murdered in Paradise, which I guess is a show that is kind of similar to my podcast a little bit, but I did not watch the episode because this case upset me so much reading about it. I didn't want to even see a reenaction with actors doing, you know, this. So Sarah graduated from Willow Glen High School and she also then went on to California State University in Chico before moving to Georgia. For Before moving to Georgia, she was in San Francisco for a number of years where she was a global accounts manager for a company called SBC, which is a communications company. According to people that she worked with, she was well-liked. She always had a smile on her face and she lit up a room, which is something that you always hear about in cases before something terrible happens. I don't really know the ins and outs of Sarah's life because this didn't get a lot of unique attention. It was really just short articles about, you know, the trial as it was ongoing and Sarah's murder when it happened. But there's certain things that you can gauge about Sarah. First off, she was incredibly health conscious. She was an avid runner. She was very into exercising, but she kind of toned it down when she found out that she was pregnant, which is something that, you know, you should hear, you should do. 
she was a happy woman who I guess everyone liked. She was close to her family. They were a close-knit family. She was a good person and she did not deserve to die the way that she did. I No one deserves to die the way that Sarah Cusack did. And honestly, you will see from the final moments of Sarah's life that not only was she quick thinking and strong, um, but she would have made an incredible mum because she was switched on, but also, you know, she was a very strong woman. Looks-wise, Sarah was really all-American. I've put up a picture of her on the episode so those listening on Spotify can see her. And her and her fiance Cheshire really just looked like the all-American you know perfect couple and I can kind of guarantee that they would have still been together today. Neighbours recalled them to ABC News delivering baked goods during the holidays although they did say that they were always kind of on the go and traveling and things like that because it's something that they both had in common so when they were around more it was because Sarah had found out she was pregnant. So Sarah met her fiancé Cheshire five years before her death and they had met in Fiji, which is an island in the South Pacific, where Sarah was on holidays and Cheshire, he was working at a sailing regatta because his job is on yachts. According to Sarah's mum Joan, Sarah had spent the last five years after meeting Cheshire working as a chef on the yachts that he was the captain of. So they had this really incredible life where they traveled around. And I know that the Caribbean was a very, very like close to their heart, that part of the world. Joan said, quote, she had so many wonderful talents. She was very, very smart. And in any endeavor she took on, she always excelled, unquote. Her mum also went on to say that Sarah was a devoted daughter, a free spirit and a person who had a love for life, unquote. And her older sister, Anne-Marie, said that Sarah was, quote, the best friend that anyone could ask for, unquote. Sarah was close to her mum and her siblings and she spoke to her mum at least a couple of times a week. The last time she had seen her mum was when she had gone back to California to visit family over Thanksgiving, which I guess is, um, was about two or three months before she died. And with the baby's due date nearing in about four months' time, three or four months' time, her mum, Joan, intended on relocating to Savannah to be there for the first few months to meet her new grandchild and to help Sarah um, as a new mum. But unfortunately, that wasn't to be. So Sarah and Cheshire visited Puerto Rico in February 2009, which was mere weeks before they were due to get married. And they were due to get married in the Caribbean somewhere. Um, But I'm not sure where. They'd been in this area quite, you know, a lot together. And they'd been together for five years with him as a, I guess you call it a captain, um, on a yacht. So they arrived into Puerto Rico just the night before Sarah was murdered. And This is where we're going to talk about Puerto Rico for a little bit. The Caribbean island of Puerto Rico is a favourite in this part of the world kind of for a cheap and cheerful holiday, Um, although I think more American tourists who are heading down to the Caribbean are more likely to go to uh, Costa Rica or other Caribbean islands, especially with the rise in crime in Puerto Rico. But The legal drinking age is 18, like in other parts of the world, like in Australia. So a lot of people go down there for spring break and things like that. 
technically Puerto Rico is a US territory. And I remember last year, and there's these ongoing talks to make it the 51st state, I think, although I think they're already going to do that with Washington, DC. But for all intents and purposes, it is a US territory since 1917. Puerto Rico, much like its neighbour Costa Rica, is a outdoor lover and adventurer's paradise. As a, It's a very easy destination for US citizens to relocate or expatriate or retire to because there's no work permits or visas or immigration bullshit moving to Puerto Rico because it's a US territory. So <clears throat> I know quite a lot moved down there to make their savings, you know, last longer, which is something that I think more and more people are doing. Unfortunately, this mountainous island nation of beautiful beaches and waterfalls and tropical rainforests and these beautiful natural wonders is a fairly unsafe destination nowadays. And I think it's probably only going to get worse with des um, desperation in these parts of the world because there hasn't been tourists for a whole year. But I will get into crime more in a bit. Located about a thousand miles southeast of Miami, Florida, and wedged between the Dominican Republic, which we've been to before for the Daryl Fornatura episode, and the US Virgin Islands. The Puerto Rico, the name, <laughs> it really surprised me because I don't speak Spanish. It means rich port, um, but it's also known as the Isla del, Isla del Encanto in Spanish, which is the island of enchantment. It has a predominantly Spanish population of just over 3 million residents, the majority of whom live in the cities and the capital San Juan. But over time and with change, Puerto Rico really has developed a culture all of its own. It's a fusion of European influence, African and Caribbean influence. Um, and the residents of Puerto Rico, they may be classified technically as US citizens, which they are, but that doesn't mean that they get all the perks of being a US citizen, which really surprised me. They can't vote for the president or vice president. Um, they don't get a vote in Congress as Puerto Rico, and they don't pay US income tax, and I can only presume they don't get welfare as well. The most that they can do as a territory of the US is to vote for a governor on the island of Puerto Rico. So, I can understand why they would want to be considered the 51st state because they're only a territory who don't get any of the perks. The island of Puerto Rico is spread between the main island, which has the capital San Juan on it, and small islands. But the main island is pretty small. It's like an archipelago and it's only quite thin um, and it's only the size of Rhode Island or Delaware or a little bit bigger. The location of Puerto Rico makes it susceptible to a lot of natural disasters, unfortunately, and these include earthquakes and tsunamis and hurricanes, etc. Just last January, January 2020, Puerto Rico had its second biggest ever earthquake, which I'm sure didn't hit the news where you were because it didn't hit where I am. Um, and Hurricane Maria hit really hard in 2017, which I think you may remember. I always remember Trump throwing um, paper towels <laughs> to the people. Yeah, um, not funny, but I'm just saying these every rich person is out of touch with humanity. The beautiful landscape and tropical climate of Puerto Rico makes it a popular destination for tourists with 3 million international tourists touching down in 2019, which was really the last year that everyone was traveling. And tourism is key to the survival of the island, much like we've been to Jamaica and it's key to the Dominican Republic, Costa Rica, um, Aruba, all of these, Curacao, all of these areas are 
dependent on tourism. But unfortunately, just because tourist dollars are important doesn't mean that crime doesn't happen here. And the colourful facades of the buildings that many of you, when I put the hint on Patreon with a picture, most of you thought it was Portugal, which it looks exactly like it. And I guess that's the Spanish influence. But unfortunately, those colourful buildings and beautiful architecture really masks a quite dark underbelly. Like most destinations in the Caribbean, Bar maybe Anguilla, which we went to before for the Casey and Caleb episode, which is really safe. Puerto Rico has a relatively high homicide rate. The average is 42 murders per 100,000 residents. And I always look at these stats when I'm doing a new episode, and that's really, really, really high. Um, the capital, San Juan, has 42 per 100,000. So San Juan, being the capital city, which is usually the way, has the majority of crime. There was recent changes in the administration running Puerto Rico. They get a very low wage um, to live on. And I think with the lack of tourism and jobs for people, it's only going to get worse because drug trafficking runs through here. There's really high gang crime, um, particularly in kind of the public housing parts of the city. So stay away from those. And gun crime is really high as well. When I was looking up recent news, there was, you know, last year daytime murders were becoming more and more common. And the FBI had said that there was a quote unquote crisis of violence happening in Puerto Rico, which it always makes me sad because it's always the places that are the most beautiful, that are the most kind of wrought with political tension and things like that. Panama is another one which we've been to for the Chris and Lisanne episode. The more touristy islands and parts of Puerto Rico are the places that I guess tourists go to. I guess most tourists aren't really going there to go to San Juan, the capital. They're more safe. It's lower than the US average of safety, but it is on par with safety in other parts of um, Puerto Rico. But you should be fine in Puerto Rico as long as you don't, you know, like in most countries where people are pretty poor, you shouldn't flash your cash or have your bag really obviously on your shoulder flushing around like an expensive camera or phone. You should protect your belongings and really stick to the tourist centres of town. It really surprised me to read on World Nomads that Puerto Rico is considered to be one of the most friendly destinations to LGBTQ visitors, which really surprised me. They have like quite a um, booming gay nightclub and gay kind of district in San Juan. But obviously it's a it's a Catholic, you know, place. So like with everything else, you've got to keep it on the down low because some places it's like illegal, but it's kind of accepted like Thailand. So Sarah was going to Seba, which is kind of right at the bottom. And this was where she was kidnapped and murdered. And this part of Puerto Rico borders the Atlantic. And it's a very safe place to visit because it's just kind of like a little community enclave. Um, the beachfront town of Seba is really idyllic and beautiful and it has a ferry terminal that services other nearby islands. According to discoverpuertorico.com, quote, Seba is the perfect destination to enjoy a relaxing day, cooling off with the tropical, cooling off from the tropical heat either by the ocean or the river. Los Machos Beach in the Media Mundo and Degua Natural Reserve sorry, I never learned Spanish, is <laughs> an easy to reach oasis complete with swaying palm trees, calm ocean waves and gazebos for picnic and parties. 
A short walk on a tree-lined path leads to Midia Mundo Beach, a nearly two-mile, three-kilometre slice of paradise where soft white sand and turquoise water makes this spot as ideal for snorkelling in the Atlantic Ocean as it is for diving into a great book. What? Uh, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Further inland, Rio Fayada flows down from El Yunk. Why UNQUE? I'm sorry, guys. Creating the picturesque pools of Charco Frio. This area offers plenty of shade and a serene atmosphere where you can spend time communing with nature. Families often gather here as several pools are shallow enough for kids to safely splash around. Nearby at Los Tinayas, flowing waterfalls, natural rock water slides and freshwater pools showcase the wondrous beauty of the river and it's always a treat to marvel at the daring teenagers who somersault off the high rocks and plummet into the water from the rope swing. Unquote. So basically, I mean, you can you can spin everything. You could spin Afghanistan to be family friendly because that's what I do, like for a living with words. Um, but you can't. You haven't done a census on everyone in a town, and you know whether or not they're a mental case or a murderer or their history is really sketchy. But in short, a trip to Cebar or Puerto Rico is cheap, cheerful, and laid back with something for the entire family, and they really kind of painted as a family-friendly destination with water parks and things like that, which which really surprised me. But as you will see, this part isn't as idyllic as you would hope. So as I said earlier, when I, before I was talking about Puerto Rico, Cheshire, her fiancé, was already down in Puerto Rico. Um, and Sarah flew in the night before she was murdered. So she flew in on the night of the 4th of February um, and she would be murdered on the 5th of February. As I said, Cheshire was already there. I presume he was there for work um, because that's what he does. And Sarah flew in after being in Savannah, Georgia, where she was getting ready for the baby and last minute things. I can gather from how it's written that Sarah was familiar with this area. She had friends who would yacht around as well because she was on her way to kind of visit them at the marina when she was murdered. And I presume that she had been to this part of the world as well. Sarah was an avid traveller and she was not easily spooked and that's how most people describe her. She was kind of comfortable wherever she was. A friend of the couple, John Everett, said, quote, a lot of these trips were to islands and they would run through kind of crazy neighbourhoods and tell stories about dogs chasing her. She was always somebody who didn't have a lot of fear in her, unquote. So according to Sarah's mum, Sarah and Cheshire were planning on sailing to the British Virgin Islands after their time visiting Puerto Rico, um, and then they were going to be married on March 22nd. So there was never really a mention of whether they were having a big wedding or anything like that. I kind of get the feeling that they were just going to get married. There's just the two of them on one of the islands and, you know, no kind of big thing, which, you know, I applaud. So friends of theirs were um, at on their boat at the marina in Seabar. Um, and they were, on the morning of her run, Sarah set off on her usual daily run to visit them. So basically, according to ABC News, Sarah had asked an employee at the Seba marina to give her an idea of the best route for a five-mile run, which it's a pretty long way, especially when you're pregnant. Like I couldn't even do that <laughs> normally. Um, so basically, according to one of the people that she trained with back in the US, Sarah had really scaled back her usual fanatical exercise routine upon finding out she was pregnant. And instead of running outdoors, she usually stuck to like a treadmill and things like that. Not only like her safety, but her health as well, she was looking out for. And 
I don't think you can like do really like crazy exercise when you're getting really pregnant. So as Sarah run along a rural road near Ceiba in eastern Puerto Rico, which is kind of right near the tip of the island, she got very disoriented and she lost her way near the marina on this route that this employee at the marina had mapped out for her. So she was running down quite a rural path in the back blocks of this area and she neared a man standing with his car trunk propped up. You could only presume that Sarah would naturally think that he had car trouble, but before she knew it, as Sarah passed the large, tall man who's a very, very big Dark, like black man, um, she was suddenly dragged into the boot of his car and their boot slammed shut. This is the part that kind of, I guess, made Sarah's story hit the news in a big way because you can imagine the panic and the adrenaline um, coursing through you, especially because you're not just thinking about yourself, you're thinking about your baby. Um, and she had her phone on her because her fiance had told her to always, you know, carry her phone with her when she was running. And, um, she very quickly rang back the marina that she had been at. So this is kind of the version of events that I've been able to map out. So at 9.10 AM on February 5th, she rang the Seba marina, um, sorry, she text she texted the Seba Marina. Now, I don't know if she was trying to keep her voice down in the boot or anything like that, but it says that an employee at the Marina received a frantic text message from Sarah. She was begging for help. So what happened was that employee at the Marina then called 911 because remember, it's a US territory. Sarah then was able to keep staying on her phone to keep so that they would be able to track her, which is, you know, quite incredible. And I don't know if she was thinking straight at the time or anything like that. I really doubt it. But when that adrenaline is going, they say that you're in laser focus mode. And as someone who suffers from panic attacks, they say that you're actually, a lot of the time you're actually making good decisions when you're like that. So the most heartbreaking thing is after she did that, she called her fiance Cheshire. Her mum, Joan, said, quote, she said, Cheshire, I'm not going to live through this. I know it unquote. And her mum told ABC News that as she was crying on a phone call from her home in San Jose, she said, quote, she's a fighter and you could tell she fought, but she knew she was going to die, unquote. So at that point, Sarah really had the knowledge that I think this was it. She knew what kind of dude she was probably dealing with. The sheer size of him, she probably couldn't kind of fight him. And there was another quote from her mum somewhere that was like, they basically said their goodbyes to each other while she was on the phone to him laying in the trunk of this car. So very quickly, the police were able to locate her body. Um, So I will get into that. But basically on the same day, from what I can figure, they arrested a man named Aliza Nevedo. Um, He was 36 years old and he very quickly confessed to Sarah's murder. And that's what I mean about this being very straightforward. So when Sarah texted the marina, they then contacted 911, who was able to basically know exactly where Sarah was um, until, you know, her killer then killed her and he took her phone. And then they were able to pretty much lead him exactly to that. And that's kind of the incredible thing about technology. So basically, when they arrested him, he was covered in Sarah's blood and he had her phone with him and he also had rope in his car. So 
basically he very quickly confessed to grabbing Sarah as she was jogging, as she jogged past his car. He pushed her into the trunk of his Chevrolet Cavalier. And then once he got to where he was, which was in a field, he raped the five months pregnant mother-to-be. He slashed her throat and then he left her in the field with her baby to die in this field, like, you know, a piece of trash, which is the worst thing ever. And I think that you can probably understand why I didn't want to watch that Murder in Paradise show because I didn't want, for some reason I just didn't, for this one, want to see the reenaction um, of this one. Um, Eliza, I think that's how you say it, Eliza, I'm going to say, um, he later on would say that Sarah looked so fit because she was in such good shape that he didn't even know she was pregnant, um, which was something that later on would really upset him. One of the lead detectives, Arsenio Rodriguez, said, quote, he was crying and telling me he was sorry because he has a daughter and knew that he had made a big mistake, unquote. So her mum, Joan, said upon hearing about it, quote, it's very surreal and I'm sort of in denial. I'm in disbelief to lose such a beautiful child. Her fiancé is just devastated. They met during a week away and have been together ever since, unquote. And then they started making arrangements to return Sarah's body back to the USA. So police very quickly nailed this guy, arrested him, got a confession. He confessed openly. There was no torture or anything like that. I think it really weighed on him, honestly, when he found out she was pregnant, although he's a piece of shit, so who cares? Um, But Rodriguez said, quote, he told me that when he killed the woman, he heard the cell phone ring. That's when he tried to leave the area, but we got him, unquote. So her phone was still on her when this was going on. And as he went to leave, he heard her phone ring. So he knew that they were like tracking that and that's how quickly they got him. It's it's really like quite incredible. And it's you should really like take your phone with you um, when you're going running or anything because you, you never know what might happen. He very quickly pleaded guilty to first degree murder, kidnapping and two sexual assault charges. Now, you may notice with that it wasn't double murder. And in Puerto Rico, the baby at that stage even though it was five months, she was five months pregnant, it didn't count as, I guess, a human being. And I think that was something that Cheshire really struggled with. I saw a quote from him that he released a press statement where he was really angry that they hadn't counted that. And the first thing I thought of was Shanann Watts with the Chris Watts case and how Colorado actually changed a law to count the baby Nico as um, a human being. And I, I know that's in still in you know civilized first world countries that's still not a thing but it is really sad it's also sexual assault charges and it should be you know rape charges but they they did the best they could and they're working with the justice system in Puerto Rico and these detectives and they can't change it themselves so they're just laying it on him and they basically set their bail for like over 2 million so there was no fucking way this guy was getting out so elisa's background and family background even though I don't make excuses for people and people can have fucked backgrounds and they go on to be leading members of society but this guy probably was never going to be an upstanding member of society and there was records that they found in Puerto Rico that says that he was found not guilty of a homicide charge in 1995 and all they really said on that was that it was you know a gun and a gun was involved, he would have been really, really young at the time. Now, Arsenio Rodriguez, who's an agent with the Homicide Division of the Puerto Rico State Police, 
He said, quote, this case he will not escape. We have too much evidence this time, unquote. So he got off the first one due to lack of evidence. He's gone on to do it again in the worst possible way. And they want this guy fucking nailed. In 1991, I guess when he was only a kid, his mother was sentenced to prison. Now, this is a really fucked case, and they always bring it up when they're talking about Eliza. His mother molested and cut the throats of two children who were three and four at the time. And I've tried to find who they were, how they were connected to her. I don't know if, I don't think they were her children. Um, But having that like in your life at that age, you're never going to fucking grow up You're going to grow up with a few screws loose, I think, but I'm not making excuses for this guy because he's a fucking idiot. Um, And as I said, this is a very cut and dry case. He did it. They found him the same day. He had all the evidence on him. He's in prison. He confesses straight away. It goes to trial. They set the um, bond too high to make sure he wasn't going anywhere. And just a few months later in June that year, because it was so quick, Elisa Marquez Nevado was sentenced to 105 years in prison. During the trial, he cried and he bit his lips as the prosecutor read victim impact statements from Sarah Cusack's family and several relatives before the sentencing. Now, they do have the death penalty there, but it has to be a federal crime. So he hadn't committed a federal crime. Therefore, he was only allowed to have the maximum possible sentence in years. Now, apparently he cannot be eligible for release, according to the chief prosecutor there, before he is 100 years old. And I don't think he's going to make it that long. There are pictures of him. I don't, he's covering his face, but they had him like shackled the minute that he was arrested. And when I saw those pictures, I realized that Sarah really didn't stand a chance at all with this guy. He's got a build like Michael Jordan, like there was just no chance. And then I had a vision of him opening the trunk and her screaming and him dragging her out of it. And it's just terrible. But justice was swift in this case, if you believe that that was justice. Sarah's mum, Joan, said, quote, it's a matter of justice. He had no reason being out and about on the streets. It's a tragedy. It took my daughter to bring him down, unquote. So if he'd been found guilty for the first one, which he most likely did based on his character, he never would have killed Sarah and she would have gone on to have her little baby and have a happy life and marry the love of her life. But justice in this case was swift. There was no bungled investigation and Sarah was returned to her home in the USA. There's something very jarring about these photos that I'll put in Patreon of Sarah's body being discovered in the field and the authorities. She's wrapped in a sheet and they're carrying her, two people are carrying her kind of to the truck. There's something very jarring about that and I guess that means that I'm not a psychopath and I guess if you guys feel anything, especially my listeners who are parents or women who have had babies, which I haven't, but I think you guys feel that really impactfully because I know women, the minute that they have um, a baby, stories like this, you know, rip them apart. And I'm interested to know if kind of that's an instant thing, you know, that happens to you. Her and her baby basically bled to death out in that field after he cut her throat. And people talk about the baby and all this stuff. And I just, I just thought it was... I just thought I'd kind of read to you at five months what the baby would have been doing to prove what a monster this fucking guy is. At about 
five months when it's got four months until it's due. At that stage, the baby weighs about a pound. Um, Sarah would have had like a bump. It's moving around. It's being a little acrobat a bit. It's kicking. It's sleeping. It's waking. It's got a schedule. It's sucking its thumb. It has, you know, nails and is starting to grow hair. And it's the time that Sarah would have been able to find out if she was having a boy or a girl. Sarah would have, you know, been quite hormonal, probably feeling tired and faint going into her second semester and getting a bit headachey. Um, but as people say, she was planning for this baby. And I just wanted to say all that because, you know, I, this is not, don't come back at me about abortion and things like that. I'm talking about a baby um, at five months, at, which is 20 weeks, which, you know, is, you know, fully formed. And it's just a really upsetting thing to me to think about that baby dying in her womb. And I don't know what happened to her fiance, Cheshire. I'm not looking him up. I'm not going to. I'm, he can go off and live his life. He reminds me a lot probably of, this case reminds me of Michaela McAreevy, who was the honeymooner who um, was from Ireland and she went on holidays and was murdered in her hotel room in Mauritius. There's something about that case that is similar to me, this kind of start of a new chapter of your life and it's just taken away by a monster um, for literally no reason. And if you'd been a few minutes later, this guy wouldn't have been there and it was clearly a crime of opportunity in both cases. Um, and it's men who will suffer for a very long time. Um, and that reminded me of that, but it also reminded me of Sarah Everett's recent death in London, walking home. Um, and I'm not going to say anything about the fact that um, Sarah was, Sarah Cusack, I'm not going to say anything about the fact that she was running in this area or whatever. She was fit. She could probably outrun people. Um, you know, I say what I say about headphones and things like when you're at night or anything like that, just be aware of your surroundings, but I'm not going to tell a woman like what to do, um, or poo poo her after the fact when she's gone. I really hate when people do that. Um, but I just wanted to say that there are videos online that I really like want women to watch. And I know it sounds really far-fetched that you would ever be pulled into a car boot, but I'm sure that Sarah would have thought that as well. And look what happened to her. So basically there's videos online from really highly trained like SES guys who show you, I can't think of what the channel is called. They show you how to get out of a trunk, um, a boot, if I've called it that, that's because that's what we call it here. There's actually like in a lot of cars or most cars, there's actually like a little lever that actually opens the thing from the inside. I know it sounds really far-fetched and things like that. And I talked about it on the Sarah Everett case, but these things, when, if it happened and in that moment, you'd be so glad that you watched it. Um, and I talked a lot about kind of how to be safe on the Sarah Everett case, wearing a tiger lady thing. It's a really ex expensive investment, but if you go running, it's an amazing thing to wear around your fists. Um, yeah, I just, I knew the Sarah Everett, Sarah, sorry, Sarah Cusack case as just the girl who called 911 from the trunk. And, you know, that's really impressive to think like that. She probably was, you know, laser focused and going through this for her and her baby. Um, I hope that guy like rots in prison. I've said this so many times, but I really mean it in this case. And I don't know if prison justice is the same across the world. I presume it is, but I don't think they like 
killers of women who are pregnant or baby killers or pedophiles or things like that. And I don't care if he didn't know that she was pregnant. So basically, according to him, he would have only killed her as her. But if she'd had a massive bump and she was just walking down the street, he wouldn't have killed her. I really, really highly doubt that. So I will put up this in Patreon. I So the website is down at the moment. Um, I don't honestly have the funds at the moment because I've had a really expensive couple of weeks paying for meds and taxis and things like that um, to put it back up. But when it is back up, which should be this week, it's only like $30 a month, but still it's just another expense at the moment for me, unfortunately. Um, but I will put it up this week, I hope. And um, I will put up Sarah Cusack's page as well as the other ones that have been, you know, in the past, um, Annie Boyerson and things like that. So I hope that Sarah's family is coping okay. I hope that Cheshire is coping okay. I know it was 12 years ago, but it really doesn't change anything. Um, Time does heal all wounds, but I think those ones really stick around. And I know someone who's kind of, I know someone loosely whose wife was murdered and um, that was... over 12 years ago. Um, and yeah, you just never get over it. So become a patron on the Patreon app, just search unknown passage podcast or yeah, (laughs) it links off the website, which isn't up at the moment. It should be soon. I also have a PayPal. If you want to send a one-off payment, it's unknown passage podcast at gmail.com on PayPal, leave a rating or review if you like the show and I shall be back next week hopefully, um, unless I die from this thing in my throat. I'm not entirely sure at this point. Um, I should be back either with Jessica Stephen or I have a guest coming on at some point. So yeah. Um, so I have Stephen, Laura, Jessica, um, Amy, Paul, Neil and Lee. So yeah, those are all coming up. Don't be mad at me if I miss a week or don't like be paranoid and like, freak out and start emailing me asking where I am like I'm fine so thank you so much and um, I will talk to you soon bye